You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. All right, hey everybody. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. This is a special semi-live edition. We're on location at Marge's Donut Den in Wyoming, Michigan. And it's Fat Tuesday, affectionately referred to by us as Poonski Day. Poonski Day. I didn't know anything about Poonski Day until I moved to Grand Rapids, and I found out it was a well-loved tradition on the Tuesday before Lent begins. Yeah, it's the great Polish tradition of cleaning out your cupboards and your pantries and sticking it all into a sugar-filled, deep-fried donut. And it's delicious. And it gets us every time. And every year, Matt and I come here. We've been coming here for maybe five or six years, and we eat multiple donuts for Jesus. And we also, uh, without fail, bring a few back to our wives and families. And we also bring a lot of powdered sugar back because it gets all over you. For some reason, I always forget and wear navy on Punchki Day. <laughs> Tis the season. But uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the great Polish tradition of the Punchkis, uh, like I said, it is the, the Tuesday before Lent begins. And the idea is, as Matt said, that back in the old days... Uh, the people who would observe this Lenten season of self-denial would throw all of their stuff out, get all the fat and the sugar and whatever out of their house and just indulge for one day and then enter, enter into the season of, of Lenting, of fasting. We just kind of take it as enjoying the good donuts, but we also are aware of the religious connotations to it and kind of paying attention to the suffering of the cross that the church is going to be looking towards in the next few weeks. It's a good time for some awareness, self-awareness, some thoughtful reflection headed into the Easter season because I know if you're like me, uh, Easter sneaks up on you right? and suddenly it's Good Friday and Easter weekend and you think to yourself, what happened? Uh, How did we get through the spring so quickly and Maybe you celebrated President's Day or Groundhog Day or something like that. But Easter is this holiday that sneaks up on you if you're not paying attention. Uh, So this is a good way to just uh, inaugurate our thinking about this season. Yeah, for me, just kind of being aware of of this season and not necessarily participating in the same way that, you know, a Catholic or something would. But it has helped me to really appreciate Easter more. You appreciate something more after you've spent time away from it. And so when you spend time celebrating Easter after you've spent time kind of really focusing on the suffering of Christ for seven weeks, it's really it's really effective. So uh, the music just stopped, which means we are now the loudest people in Marge's Donut Den. Well, we're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy our conversation that's coming up next with Pastor Jim Shamaria. The other Jim Shamaria. Senior. Yes, not quite senior. We have different middle names, but we'll let that slide. Big Jim, as they call it. Big Jim, yep. So we'll uh, be heading back to the nice, quiet confines of Matt's office in a few minutes and uh, talking with my dad about 30 years of ministry in the same church. So, awesome. Looking forward to it. We'll leave you with some tunes as we transition out. <laughs> Johnny Cash. All right. We are here with Pastor Jim Shamaria and Pastor Jim Shamaria. <laughs> yeah. Really great experience to have a father-son. In stereo. Tag team duo, pastoral ministry uh, legacy being built here. <laughs> And so, uh, Jim, good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be with you. 
And Jim, good to have you here. <laughs> You're here Always every good. week. And full from my punchies, which we just had. The third punchki is the punchki of regret. <laughs> I made it until Did you? late I had a, yesterday evening before I had me. the third one. <laughs> same with me. Space them out. Yep. There's less, less uh, regret that way. So we've already heard from the associate pastor at the Berean Church in Seattle, which was Gary Hansen, who was on our second episode. Right. But you are the senior pastor there. And so why don't you just first, before we get in, just kind of tell us about your history and ministry. So like where you've served, what, where you've, all that sort of stuff. Okay. So I graduated from uh, GBC in 1976. And my last year at school, I was the part-time youth pastor at, uh, well, back then it was Berean Church, Mm -hmm. now Rush Creek. And then the year I did my internship in 1973-74, our youth pastor left for a new job partway through. So for about five months, I was actually full-time youth pastor then. At Brian Brian Church in Seattle. Which is where you grew up. That's my home church. Yeah. Shoreline, technically, but North Seattle. And you were there before it was Brian. Yes. We originally were at Emmanuel uh, Emmanuel Tabernacle in the Seattle area, and the church uh, broke off in 1964, doctrinal, particularly some key doctrinal issues, and started in 1964, moved to Shoreline in 66, and it's been there ever since. And so I grew up in the church. My wife actually grew up in the church, too, so it's my home church. And uh, so I interned there under Marlon Olson, and uh, he was a Christian education uh, pastor at the time. And my goal was to go into youth work, but after working with Marlon for a year, I decided to go into Christian education. So after I graduated from Grace, I went to Seattle Pacific University, got my master's degree there, and uh, took a position at Bethesda Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1978, and was there until 1984 as a pastor pastor of Christian education. Who was the senior pastor? Roger Anderson. Oh, yeah. Roger Anderson was our senior pastor then. And then in 1984, uh, they called me to come to candidate at uh, Shoreline, Seattle. And, of course, there was a lot of concern about being our home church, and uh, but uh, that didn't seem to be a big issue. And uh, Pastor Vern Schutz was the pastor then, and Cliff Barbich was the youth and family pastor. So I went there in 1984. Was that a position that was already there that yeah. somebody had yeah, left our church, it, or did they uh, you know, Our it? church from the very beginning had a uh, real commitment to uh, youth and Christian education. Our, when our church started, Lloyd Peterson was a pastor, and uh, Bruce Kemper, who just, of course, passed away, was the uh, CE slash youth pastor because he came mm-hmm. w- with the church from Emmanuel with, with Lloyd. And he was there until 66, and then they hired Jim Carlson. And Jim was the Christian education pastor, and then Marlon Olson, and uh, then uh, John Ellison, and then myself. So we've always had, when we built the church, we put just as much of our resources into our Christian ed facilities as we did into our worship Hmm. and foyer and so forth. That's interesting, because I would think, because right about in the 80s is when that kind of boom in church growth and all that stuff happened. So it's interesting that you guys were kind of doing that before all of that stuff. Yeah, we've always, on. and we still, have a, we still have a full-time Christian head director yeah. at the church, Susie Bates. Yeah. So it's been, it's worked for us, you know. So anyway, I was yeah. there, came in 84, and then Pastor Schutz retired in 92, and then I was called to be the pastor in 93. So I've been the senior pastor since 1990. So you've been there since 84, so that's, that's the year I was born. 33 so years. Because the circle is complete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really remarkable story of growing up in the church Coming back to the church, serving in a variety of different roles, now senior pastor, 
headed, I assume, toward the end of your yeah. career as yes. a new pastor. <laughs> yes. the, uh, elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm definitely but on the tail end of, uh, yeah. <laughs> not many pastors can have uh, that kind of experience where really spending your whole life, thinking of your whole life in one place, that's yeah. really unique. What do you, as you look back on all of that, what do you think about, how do you tell yourself the story of your connection with this church for yeah. your whole life? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's been a very positive, it's it's a good church to work in, you know, and um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm still in the process of uh, burying people that were my Sunday school and children's church teachers when I was mm-hmm. a little kid, you know, and uh, so I've had relationships for many, many years with uh, multiple generations of families, and, um, you know, for me and for us, for Teresa and I, it's worked out well. I I, I think longevity in ministry is, is a value. Um, it's interesting, when I came to our church, there were some churches in our area that had pastors there for a long time, and they left to go to work in their headquarters, not Grace Churches, but somewhere. I, I, we have a pastor's fellowship I meet with once a month from our shoreline area, just from all different denominations, and it's a good fellowship. But some of the churches that, seems like they went through pastors about every two to three years, you know, yeah. it's just really hard in a congregation, you know. So not everybody obviously is going to be in the same position like I have. It's not always the same wherever God calls you. But the, I think the advantages are you do get to develop that long-term relationships with people. You do get to know the church. Um, and you do build a certain uh, respect with the people that they, they have for you. So Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is the people know that you're going to be a consistent part of that. And I mean, even... Yeah. I've only been at my church for nine years, but still there's a sense that you become part of the identity of the church. You're not right. just the pastor who's there serving for a time, but they, you kind of build that. And I mean, you here at the college, you've been here, you're part of the fabric of the GBC Bible and Theology Department. You've been here for 10 years almost, too. 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the difference between uh, a vocation, really a calling yeah. to a certain place, and then seeing the ministry or whatever your work is as right. just a job. Right. This is what I'm right. here to do to, right. to make money because my real life is somewhere else, but rather really em- embedding yourself in that community. Was that your plan when you moved back to Seattle? Were you thinking no. I'd like to be here forever? Yeah, or? no. No one ever thinks that way probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was going there as Christian education, I really had no desire to be senior pastor. I really loved Christian education ministry because I really liked working with all ages. Um, and I was sort of, during the late 70s early 80s to me was kind of a real sort of a high high point time for christian education that's right. not the case today and if you look right. around the model the, the church model today is a lot of churches are doing away with sunday school mm-hmm. uh, even wednesday night programs you know the model today seems to be more worship service and community groups you know and so and even even you look at the publishing situation, how it's changed even in the last couple of years. You know, publishers going bankrupt and so on. It's right. just a hard market, you know. So, so I really loved Christian education. I really wasn't looking to not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But you know, I think our fellowship as a whole. I think we tend to have longer pastorates than a lot of other groups. I don't know if it's the background. The average is what five to seven years, maybe. I would imagine for most pastors, I would think it's less than that for a lot of churches i would i mean i know for like youth pastors yeah, it's I've heard 18 like, months, yeah so. youth pastors are super short yeah but if you look at our fellowship the grace gospel fellowship as a whole i think you'll see there's quite a few pastors that have served 
10 yeah. plus years at their churches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that unusual, you know. Well, and I think that that the the model that has been set at Brian and you, but also kind of the people who come before you, has also made that model for the the kids who grew up in that church and are now serving. So I especially yeah. think of Jeremy Herr, yeah. who's grew up in the Seattle church in the youth group, and then he went to go uh, become a youth pastor in Eastport, New York, and he's been there for a long, you know, 10, 12 years as well. And I think that kind of, that's the model that is set at that church. And Frosty Hansen, who we've had right. before, also grew up in yeah. that church and served yeah. several really long um ministry things and so i think it's kind of a culture of yeah of that consistency yeah, scott myers has been at union clock for several yeah, years right. now you know paul mcdonald didn't grow up in our church but he was an elder and leader in our church and he mm-hmm. served in celebration for several years yep. you know um, well and that's another thing to talk about because your church has been ascending church i know that you right. guys talk about that you have a lot of people that have gone from your church to go into full-time ministry right. how right. how do you account for that um, you know, we have in the past had quite an emphasis on encouraging students to come to Grace Bible College, mm-hmm. where they do connect with a lot of these opportunities, ministries, and um, yeah, sure, just sort of the culture of our church. We've been, we've emphasized ministry and the importance of it, and the fact that we've had we've always we've always had like I say, Christian ed director from nineteen, you know. 67 on a full-time youth pastor yeah. we've always had a full-time youth pastor since then so there's a lot of personal encouragement of young people yeah because i just think that that's really interesting to see how many people have come yeah, out of, yeah. of your church and it as far as numbers wise you've been pretty consistent during that whole time i mean up and down yeah, a little bit yeah. but and, but yeah. i think that that's a uh a way that that ch- your church has continued to grow and impact is by right. sending people out and yeah. the impact that it's had beyond that. Yeah. What's it like to lead this congregation through generational change, through cultural shifts, through the 80s, 90s, yeah. 2000s, yeah. information age happened, uh, 9-11 happened, so yeah. there's there's so many big changes that happened in a long period of ministry like that. How have you seen that affect your congregation? Yeah, you know, navigating that has been a challenge, of course, for any church like ours. You know, anything from the worship styles. Uh, we've tried you know, a lot of different, you know, to, and we, like today, we just call ourselves a blended service, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the change comes in our church slow. We don't change overnight. You know, that's frustrating for some people. I know that. There's no way around that. But on the other side, we have managed to maintain a multi-generational church. And so the the downside is it's always it's always a challenge to hang on to younger families and so on that maybe want a more progressive type style of ministry and so on. Um, and then those at the older end who sometimes feel like kind of you know who stole our church kind of that yeah. book you know type of thing. So to maintain that balance, we've tried to move in a you know in a concentrated intentional way i know it's not as fast as some would like and so on but we have managed to maintain a a blended gender and that is one thing some of the newer families that have come to our church recently uh especially with families with kids one of the things they've talked about is they really it's good to be with all generations right. and they feel, and there's something like you know they feel like it's really valuable for their children to know older people and right. so forth for sure well, that's even yeah. what we talked with Gary about when he was here about what that looks like to be how to lead a worship service even yeah. when you have the the oh, unique yeah. challenges of that 
But that pace, I think, is, is key. And we talk about this a lot. Just the slow pace of pastoral ministry is good. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the books and all this stuff make it feel like you need to be kind of jumping on the fads and changing with culture and all of that stuff. But it seems that just being present in whatever way that looks is probably a better way yeah. to, to go about it. Yeah, every, every ministry has its place. You know, and we look at our community, and there, there are churches that are really targeted to young adults, and they have a huge young adult population. And that's and that's a good thing, because Seattle really needs that. You know, I mean, yeah. it has been quite phenomenal, some of the growth in some of the churches, you know, like the Mars Hills and so forth. And um, But we have to recognize who we are, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's okay. And so we... We we do value the, the the blend of generations at our church, yeah. and we and so we've maintained at our church, I'd say probably sixty five percent, maybe seventy percent of our people are involved in Sunday school, hmm. which is sort of unusual. That's remarkable, you know. And you do your Sunday school before the service, yeah. Also. And that's a challenge for us, yeah. you know, because Sunday school is at nine thirty. We have a coffee break. Church is eleven to twelve. Ideally, in today's culture. Probably worship service at 10, you know, yeah. would be more. But I don't know where we'd put Sunday school. And for us, that's right. a big part of our education ministry. Mm-hmm. And so people are committed to it still. We always offer at least four adult electives that are pretty well tended and balanced, you know. What's the What's the purpose of your Sunday school? Like, why do you keep it such a big priority? It's built around what we call peer groups. So it's sort of this, we don't have an extensive community group ministry we have a a small group we have a variety of different types of small groups like the group that meets at our house meets once a month some groups meet every other week we don't coordinate everything together you know we have a lot of different small groups but our peer groups in our church built around roughly age groupings of 12 to 15 16 years Mm -hmm. are kind of the subgroups and so they appreciate that opportunity to be in and it's it's single and married it's not just couples you know and then uh then so they, every Sunday they meet together for you know the first uh, twenty minutes and then break for electives, and once a month they stay together. So that's the idea is to keep that. Yeah, and that's actually a model that I borrowed from you guys yeah. after kind of talking with you and with Gary because we were having the same problem that a lot of churches have just this frustration of feeling like I have to have small groups because all the books tell me I have to right. have small groups, but nobody wants to come to small groups, and so there is that lack of kind of community, and so hearing what you guys do and just kind of leaning into it say okay well we're gonna create a space for that peer community in the service in the sunday service and so that's what we're doing now at celebration and it seems to be really taking well so maybe out there people are listening and have those same frustrations maybe it's a good option what i'm hearing is you're both saying this is what works for our church as opposed to there's a model out there and a template try to fit that whatever the latest marketing push right. is from the church you know if, if you have those regular meetings of people who are in a relatively the same life stage uh, that creates a rhythm mm-hmm. to their week and and may diminish some of that need for a small group meeting outside yeah do you guys have small groups that we do your church? and we've been developing that for the last three or four years yeah i'd say but that is driven by, you know, more of the Andy Stanley mm-hmm. uh, growth model mindset. People don't stay for Sunday school in right. West Michigan. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, right. maybe maybe throughout the country they don't stay. Right. So I'd say we're probably at 25%, hmm. 30% stay for Sunday school after the service. And so 
we still want to minister to people and make sure that they are experiencing some connection in some right. community. So we've tried to make small groups the way that we do that. Yeah. And I'd say we have moderate success. I tried to start a small group Sunday school class, like a small group on ramp, like come learn about small groups, come get involved with small groups. If you're not a small already. group about small groups. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it turned out to be. And, and one couple came I'm like, well, I guess we could have a whole class with just the three of us, but I'm really glad that you're excited about small groups. Let's talk about some more people you could invite. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to, you, at some point, you, have, you can't do everything. You know, what right. works for when, and you can't, you know, criticize what works for another church. You know, right. you can't do everything. So, like in our case, I mean, I know when some newer families have come to our church, they came from a context where the ministry was worship service and very strong community group program. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking for that. Well, a couple of years later, um, they're coming to Sunday school. They're really involved on Wednesday night. We have, we just, we're a very active church, you know, and all of a sudden that need isn't quite as strong, you know, because right. you, as a family with children and so on, you, you know, how many nights a week can you be out? You can't do everything. Right. And so, so they're, that's finding, that, they're yeah. finding that community in a different yeah. place, which is, but yeah. you're still providing it. Which yeah. Is good. Yeah, you'd ask, you know, you talked earlier about the longevity and the persona and so on. Of course, on, that, on, the, on the flip side of it, part of the challenge is when you're there that long at, in leadership. Because I was, as a, soci- as a Christian education pastor under Vern Schutz, I really served as associate pastor as well. I mean, I mm-hmm. filled in when he was gone, you know, and we worked real closely together. We worked really well together. He was a good man. And um, so I've been in an active leadership, you know, 30, 34 years then 33 years, um, your persona, you know, the downside is the church can take on a lot of your persona in terms right. of leadership style. And I know my right. leadership style. It's a kind of a team oriented. I'm not a, we're not a pastor driven church. We're mm-hmm. board driven, but we've been fortunate to have a lot of always good elders. We never are begging to find elders, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, people step forward. So I guess the downside is when that transition takes place, you know, um, it could be a whole different leadership style. Right. And so for the church. And so you've and, had 30 years of this way, it yeah. could be potentially a big. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So that's obviously to be aware of. You have to be aware of those things. It'll be a big transition. For it will people. be. Yeah, yeah. And my, since, you know, my role in that, how I handle that and so on, would be important too. Mm-hmm. That's always the case. Yeah. As you look at the last 30 years, what are the, what have been the biggest challenges, challenging seasons, maybe low points? How did you make it through those? Um, you know, you always go through times where I, you know, there are those who get disgruntled at a church, you know, mm-hmm. and, and leave and so on. And that's always hard. No pastor likes to see that, you know, that's probably the hardest times. And you just have to work through that and accept, you know, that people are going to change churches, you know, mm-hmm. and people that have, there are a lot of people coming to our church that left another church. So that's the reality, you know, I mean, that's, well, I think so it, it helps both like, ways, you know, with like what you said early, earlier, being comfortable of who you are as a church, right. like this is who we are and realizing that some people, this is just not going to yeah. connect with them and that's fine. That's right. And, and, you know, some of the people have been very honest and just say, Hey, you know, it's time for us to move on. This is, we're, we're feeling called to serve ministry and Hey, that's, you know what? I'm, you're feeling mm-hmm. called and God's using you somewhere, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you always feel the challenge is when you find out maybe someone has left, you know, are they, even, are they actually actually going somewhere? Right. You know, that's that's where you, as a pastor, you feel bad. You know, I'd rather have you going somewhere and getting fed, mm-hmm. you know. So so those are the kind of things always every mm-hmm. pastor, you know, goes through. 
some of the worship discussions at one time, way back when I was associate pastor even, there were some real challenging times on that. Back in the 80s and 90s yeah, when that whole contemporary yeah. thing was The worship up. wars. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so we're kind of now trying to work through, but it's, it, you got to keep working at it. You have to keep working mm-hmm. at it because that's a huge thing today. Huge thing. How have yeah. you seen the change in your physical neighborhood that the church is in impact? Yeah, that's really, that's really, and that's a topic right now. When our church, when we started our church in 1966, or 64, and we built in 66, and our, our founding pastor had a real vision to, to build, a, and we built a nice facility, a very usable facility. You know, we have a, we have a, not a full-size gym, but close. Mm-hmm. Youth room, good kitchen, you know, a lot of fellowship and Sunday school rooms. That was the growing white <laughs> suburban community. Right. You know, my wife went to high school across the street. At that time, it was three grades, 10, 11, 12, probably 2,200 students. I mean, literally, there might have been 8 to 12 people of color in that, mm-hmm. in that school, you know. Um, that was a white, suburban, white flight community. People leaving Seattle and so forth. To, you know, it was the first suburb outside of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you'll cross the street and you're in the suburbs and different school district and so on. And that was during the busing. Seattle Seattle Public Schools were the first district to voluntarily bus for integration in the nation. And during that time, we were in Boston with the riots and so right. on. You know, wow. And so that was a big deal. A lot of people left the city. So now our community is interesting. We have, for example, some years we had an after-school basketball open gym thing. And um, I'd say Tom Dranth, myself, and maybe two other guys... Jeremy Hur stuff, you know, mm-hmm. we were the white guys, you know. <laughs> Our community has changed. We'd have 25, 30 young men yeah. there. So it's very, it's a very diverse community today. And the challenge is, and in meeting with my other pastors in the Shoreline area, we're all facing the same thing. The challenge is our churches don't reflect that. Hmm. They do not reflect the diversity of racial, ethnicities. Um, and that's the challenge that we'd like to see So change. you have people commuting in? Yep. To exactly. Your people from the various neighborhoods around. Keep moving further away, or there are. I mean, there are areas that are still very Caucasian in Shoreline. Right. You know, certain areas that. Um, but for the most part, it's a very diverse community. You go up to the next suburb of Linwood, where my son-in-law is a principal, and, I mean, their their school is just so diverse with ethnicities. That's complete radical change from the '60s when those were yeah. the white flight wow. suburbs. So that is, a, we just, we've had some interesting meetings with our Shoreline Pastors group and even a larger group trying to discuss this and come to, what, what, what can we do? You know, even, they're all facing the same thing. It's not just our church. But again, when you talk about change and change being slow, right. and you're still talking about right. worship from right. 20 years ago almost, yeah. then you yeah. have to think about also pivoting to yep. reflect yeah. your community. We've had a number of episodes where we've talked about listening to your neighborhood and reflecting your community and connecting, engaging and that's hard for everybody at the same time. It is. A, it is, it yeah. is. but when your challenge. neighborhood changes yeah, around you, right. harder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, pro- I would say that's probably our number one challenge right now in terms of culture is is uh, how, how are we going to reach our neighborhood? How's yeah. it, it would be great if our church began to be a part of that diversity. In our, and we've talked about mm-hmm. that as a staff. The elders have talked some about it. Um, that's not easy. It's not right. easy because because our worship style reflects a certain style mm-hmm. of worship, and uh, well, just the culture of your church is reflective. Yeah, of, exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. So but I think that's our. I, to me, that's the biggest challenge for the next twenty years is going to be. Yeah. You hate to not to be part of that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know. What would you say to a young pastor? They're maybe they're looking forward to becoming a pastor, or they've just been in the ministry for two or three years, and they're trying to think about a, a whole life looking down thirty years from now, where they're going to be. What would you want to say to them? You know, I think when you start out in any ministry like that, there's always a certain idealism. (laughs) And I think you need that. I think that's a good thing. I think if you lose that, not only our fellowship and your churches, but you have to have that. And looking back after, you know, almost 40 years of ministry now total, and I started in 1978, you know, and you look at the things you've been through, and you think, wow, there's a lot of things you're going to go through, you know. And but it's like anything in life. God equips you at the time if you're willing to do it, you know, to go through it. And so I think for a younger pastor, there's a lot of there's a certain idealism that that's good. You need that. We need that to keep fresh and keep moving. Um, I think you have to be realistic about your church family, and you don't have to become like the one down the street, and you don't have to criticize it. You know, they all, it's like the body of Christ. You know, each churches have different ministries. You know, not everybody in Seattle is going to come to our church, you know. And that's, there's real, you know. But I think a certain commitment in our fellowship to our, and by, the one thing I have found today, when people that, that have come to our church and have stayed, that are, that are Christians generally, the one thing I hear over and over again, they're having a harder time finding churches that are teaching the Bible. Hmm. That's something that they're interested in. So a lot of times they'll look at our website and so on, and they'll see uh, we host BSF, which we, we we are a strong supporter of BSF. Bible Study Fellowship. Bible Study Fellowship, yep. We have a ladies' group that's there all day Tuesday now. We have two groups there. Um, we have Awana Pioneer Clubs, and the people connect Awana you know, with Bible Bible, Bible teaching, teaching, Bible memorization. Then they look at the Sunday school list, and they'll come and try out your church. And I'm not the kind of pastor, uh, when I was going to seminary, uh, graduate school at Fuller, doing some extra work at Fuller, one of my preaching classes, the, the pastor, or the teacher said, and he's, and he's right, I know he's right. And after we did our three, he says, you know, if I were to come to your church, your type of preaching is not going to grab me and make me stay the first week. But if I came two or three times, it would wear on me, <laughs> you know, in the sense I would right. get used to that. I know that's my, down. Yeah, that's my style. That's my style of Bible teaching. And I think for those who have come and stayed at our church, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. So I think, I think for the young pastors, I think of don't ever neglect that part of your ministry. You know, the, the, the solid, balanced Bible teaching with application, that, that's, that's really important. That's a core. It is, yeah. yeah. At some point, you have to come to that. Yeah, that's why I remember uh, Grandpa. One of the last yeah. things I had a conversation yeah. with him about, I had been interning at Celebration or working as a as a student. I was teaching the Sunday school class, and I came and I was all excited to talk to him about because I was teaching a class on C.S. Lewis, and he's kind of of that generation. I think, oh, he must he must like C.S. Lewis, and basically his response is, "Why are you wasting your time on that? Why don't you just preach the Bible and <laughs> preach the word?" And then yeah. he reference. Timothy, you know, Paul's words to Timothy, preach the word. And from, that's always kind of had an impact on me. Like, maybe that is, should be my focus. Right. That would be very memorable. As yeah. much as we love C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the challenge, I remember, uh, I was with Marlon Olson, who I worked under, you know, as yeah. an intern. 
somebody asked him one time, what he was a missionary. They were missionaries in Taiwan originally. And he said, someone asked him, what was, what was the hardest part about being a missionary? And I always remember his response, because I was in a meeting when he said this. He said, the hardest part of being a missionary is doing your job. Hmm. And he said, that's because there's nobody watching over you. Right. You know? And in and, and, and pastoral ministry, is a lot like that. I think, the, I think one of the biggest challenges in pastoral ministry is you're starting out looking down the road, if you're going to, you know, you want longevity ministry, is... Is you have it's, it's easy to get lazy. Develop Let's face a work it. ethic. It's, yeah, it is. You you know it's easy to get. Uh, um, no one's watching over you. You know yeah. I work for the board. They, I hire and fire at our church, but they're not there every day watching over me. It's easy mm-hmm. to put in reports what you do and don't do, and mm-hmm. they're usually gracious. You know, so I think in ministry that's probably the biggest challenge is that discipline to do your job, because it's easy to get lazy. It's easy to start. You know, you look at, uh, say, well, I'm already putting this many hours, so right. I don't need any. Then you forget, you know, the people that are volunteering your church, you know, they're yeah. working 40, 50 hours, plus That's putting in 10, 12 right. hours of church, you know. Sure. So it's it's easy. To, it's That's the challenge. I think yeah. that's a really big challenge in ministry. And you just have to, you know, have a certain discipline and and, uh, and a core value that, you know, right. you're serving the Lord and that, that that you have to love the people. If you don't love the people, you know, that's not going to see you very far. Mm-hmm. So you're there to serve. You know, the Lord's, you're there to serve as Christ served. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Pastor Jim, one of the things that we always ask people is, what's the greatest blessing that you've seen in your ministry and what's been the hardest, what's the biggest grind, something you have to do but you don't relish it? I always say my expense reports. Yeah, I'm sure for most pastors, because we're people-oriented, you know, those kind of things. You know, their reports, um, that kind of detail, that's always a challenge. And it wasn't as much when I was in Christian education, because I was more involved with that. But as pastor, I think think that's, that's, that's just something you have to do. You know, there's a certain amount of administrative work that's, that is not as fun. (laughs) But necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Counseling is a challenge just because you could get so wrapped up in counseling. And so I generally, I see my counseling role as sort of emergency, advisory. If somebody really has serious needs, we'll meet enough times to come up with a plan. And our church has been really good about helping people from our financial benevolent fund Mm -hmm. with counseling. And so that's something, you know. That's a great idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, We probably use our benevolent fund for that up till recently more than anything. Helping people with counseling, so it's really nice yeah, for me to be able to say, "Hey, look, if you're willing to, if you're willing to do this, we'll, pay for a we'll help you go session. to six sessions yeah. of counseling. Here's some recommendations. Yeah. If you're willing to do it, and that's really helpful. That's a good well, idea. I'm taking that <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's the greatest joy? Uh, the greatest joy is just, I think, seeing people grow. Mm-hmm. Just seeing people grow. Uh, all of a sudden, you'll hear some years later, you know. Something that was said by you or someone else in church some years ago, it really stuck with me and saw me through difficult times. I really, you know, any, any given Sunday, any yeah. time you teach, you come away thinking, I wonder if anybody ever got anything out of that, yeah. you know. And then sometime later you find out, wow, it, God used that. Yeah. And you know you're unworthy, you know. Yeah. And um, But I think that's the greatest joy, just seeing people grow. The Apostle John, no greater joy than to see your children walking with the Lord, yeah. you know. So I think that's obviously the greatest joy. Yeah. And then, do you have a book that you would recommend, or several? 
Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think of an individual book. I do a lot of. I got so many books on my shelf. I'm reading parts and portions of it. Uh, over the years, uh, Eugene Peterson's writings, and I can't even grab the title right now. But there was a there was one, that, and I remember at the time reading it that he served a church, a mid-sized church. It wasn't yeah. a big or mega church, and he'd served there for many years. And his reflections on ministry, and the one particular illustration he used was from Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's the, I forget the name, the spearman. Mm-hmm. Now, while the boat... We Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, always, that's always stuck with me, you know, that, that his focus, that this guy had one job to do. Mm-hmm. And while everything else was going on around him, you know, with the sea rolling and everybody, his job was the spear. And that was his, his responsibility. And he really focused, I think, the idea that is bringing the Bible, teaching and preaching the Bible... You, you know, hmm. you've got to stay focused on that. Because what I've always said, and, the re- and one of the reasons I've stayed out of politics in our church, and that's not easy, you know, yeah. it's not easy. But my my response is, our job is to teach the Bible. If we don't do it, who is going to do that? Right. There are all sorts of other people, good people, good organizations that will do politics. And the, But if we don't teach the Bible, who's going to do that? Yeah. So it really comes down to, to me, that's that's hmm. my focus. Anytime there's a Eugene Peterson reference on here, if the angel a, gets his wings. Right? If we had a nickel every time, he's our he's one of our favorites. As well. well, I think we relate to him because yeah. you know how it is. You know, you have every every conference you go to, you look at the thing. It's always this person started out with three hundred, right. now they have twelve thousand, right. as if that's their credential <laughs> to be effective. Which is fine. That's great. Right. But I really appreciate the fact that he was just like most of us. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And content with that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining You're us. Welcome. Too. Really appreciate your ministry and your testimony. Thank you. Appreciate you guys' work here at the school and uh, ministry back here. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation. Mm-hmm.